there are smart uh, communities out there who have done their own research and who are looking for that innovation and connectivity with capital. Um, so Neighborly makes it easier to do that. This is episode 320 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Consistently, local communities that want to invest in publicly owned broadband infrastructure cite financing as one of their biggest challenges. Our guests this week are working to overcome that challenge by making investment in municipal bonding more accessible to communities and the individuals who live in them. Jace Wilson and Lindsay Brannon are from Neighborly. That's a firm that's working with local communities looking for ways to fund projects such as open access broadband networks and other public infrastructure projects. They're simultaneously opening up investment opportunities for individuals and entities interested in advancing those projects. In this interview, Jace, Lindsay, and Christopher discuss how the publicly owned open access model suits their mission and why they're pursuing that mission. They also talk about how this type of financing can overcome some of the challenges more traditional approaches take because the investor and the subscriber overlap. You'll learn about a recent example of a project in Vermont and a new program they've developed to jumpstart local efforts. Whether you're looking for tools to help you fund your community's project or are interested in an investment that emphasizes local self-reliance in a variety of ways, Check out Neighborly.com for more about the firm, their approach, and the different types of projects they help develop. Now here's Christopher with Jace Wilson and Lindsay Brannon from Neighborly. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in Minneapolis. And I'm here today talking to Jace Wilson, CEO of Neighborly. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. And it doesn't end with Jace. We also have Lindsay Brannon, the head of public finance for Neighborly. Welcome. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having us. So I'm very excited for people to learn more about what you're doing. I think people have a better sense now, in part because of an announcement that you've made that we will cover later in the show. Um, but when I first heard about you guys, I had no idea what you were up to. So Jace, can you start by explaining what Neighborly is? Neighborly is a fintech company. We connect communities to capital. It's a mission to modernize public finance, which is the billion dollar a day market that builds vital public projects like schools and libraries and parks. And we think it can and it should be updated to serve communities that want to own their own networks and communities that want to build their own microgrids so that they can own their own energy while decarbonizing their planet. We see a future in which those communities can responsibly borrow exactly what they need when they need it, using the humble municipal bond as an instrument to, to do so in the bedrock of the community capital stack and that investors can get direct access to world positive investment opportunities. Lindsay, what, what else would you add to, uh, to that description of what Neighborly does? We help fund these transformative world positive projects um, you know, Jace mentioned microgrids and broadband, um, and, and we're very keen and focused on resilient infrastructure, education, housing, transportation, um, projects that will really redefine how cities operate. And um, we, we do this through that, that humble municipal bond um, at Neighborly. 
I think some people who are listening might be thinking, well, we have hundreds of municipal networks. Um, we have the humble municipal bond. Um, what is Neighborly doing? I mean, what's, what's sort of the problem that Neighborly is solving? We make it easier and less expensive and less complicated than the vast majority of municipal issuances that have financed municipal networks today. And we've studied them all and we've come up with, you know, pathways for communities that want to build and own and operate their own networks uh, to do so without having to raise taxes in every situation. And the mechanisms that we employ help to make better access for both sides so that, you know, a community that might not have been able to access the market uh, any other way or was being told, you know, through uh, various shades of fear, uncertainty, and doubt from experts or, or people looking that don't have a vested interest in the community owning its own network that they shouldn't use the multi-trillion dollar municipal market to help build their network. And we try to work for such communities that might not have had access to the capital markets in a direct fashion. Jason, in my past conversations with you, um, you, you, you've used a couple of examples regularly uh, in terms of how things used to work. I mean, this, this is a, a relatively newer phenomenon relative to the ancient municipal uh, finance market. You're right. Uh, you're right, Chris. It's, it's a two-century-old market uh, that helped build many of the projects that helped make our nation great in the first place and that helped set up our nation as a, as a sort of rich tapestry of self-reliant but interconnected places and you know it's a mechanism that we pioneered in the united states and that we used to build the public institutions but also the roads and the sewers upon and freshwater projects upon which we built our cities and you know we look at it and say well it's kind of crazy that you know we built this mechanism that helped these communities uh you know bring up the infrastructure that they need uh, and then we look at the internet and we think of it as sort of the global brain and what you do at ILSR and, and the movements of entry point and everybody that's building open access networks uh, as the correct model to sort of, you know, make sure that the internet can be offered as something like a public good. To us, the municipal market is a solution. And if you look at the, the highways and the roads that we built as a nation, you know, it's the equivalent model. We built tens of billions of dollars into the, the heavy lifting of the internet to get it to where it is. But if you look at the equivalent, like we think of the internet as the 21st century equivalent of fresh water, and that we need to be thinking about it as our, our responsibility to make sure that everyone has access at the community level. It was the equivalent that we built all of the highways and all of the local roads, and then we told, you know, all the Detroit companies like, you know, Ford, General Motors, we need you guys to build the, the driveways and maintain the curb cuts and charge us every month to do so. It's, it doesn't make sense that the internet runs the way that it does today. So we think the municipal market can be a solution, a helpful solution in that. Sure. And I want to I wanna just ask Lindsay, one of the impressions I've had from the and um, in interacting with Neighborly's team is that there's a lot of people that have a lot of opportunities. You have a lot of sharp people on your team. And Lindsay, I'm just curious, you know, what made you want to join Neighborly? Um, what, what would you see in terms of the promise of it? It 
really appealed to me. Neighborly is very much an innovator and stands out among um, in that that regard. And I wanted to be a part of um, a company with other bright, motivated people who had very diverse backgrounds. And I think that that's where Neighborly really shines. And I think we are you know, helping modernize a 200 year old market that really needs that innovation. And so I think the opportunity to, to do that along with focusing on, on smart cities um, and, and projects that will help future proof our cities. Um, I wanted to be a part of that. And I believe that, that you know, Neighborly is, is the leader in that space. Um, so, so that really motivated um, my decision to join. And this, that really brings us right to, I think, one of the key points, um, which is that Neighborly is really focused on um, smart city type stuff. Um, I, the, the two things that I, I get the impression are, are municipal broadband and in particular open access, which we'll, we'll come to after we talk about the focus on um, municipal broadband broadly first, uh, also the, um, the smart grid um, type projects. Um, but I, I also wanted to just note that um, this, we haven't really fully gotten into the problems of municipal finance. And that's something that, Jace, I, I, I've told you before, I want to have you on for a dedicated conversation about that. So if people are, are sort of still not entirely sure, first of all, you can see really excellent presentations uh, from Neighborly online, um, but we're going to talk about that more in depth. Um, today, though, we really want to get to um, exactly uh, how Neighborly is focused on municipal broadband and an exciting announcement. So um, just briefly, Jace, why municipal broadband? Why is that such a focus for Neighborly? Smart city, right? And, you know, we've been tracking very closely with the smart city movement since it you know, it came about initially as like a sort of a marketing device among technology companies that, you know, selling into governments that, you know, the old adage of no one was fired for uh, choosing IBM, <laughs> yes. you know, to, to overcome that is to say like, well, it's sort of smart decision to, you know, to choose this other thing, right? So, but then it's evolved into a real movement. And it's one that we're very personally and very passionate about at Neighborly because we have this kind of strange view of what are, what are cities and what are communities. We think of them to some extent as macro organisms that we sort of collectively co-create and then inhabit and, and, and then become, you know, the, the results uh, of, of how well they're wired. And we think that, you know, in the 21st century, they're increasingly becoming self-aware. And this is through through the, the sensors that are, you know, the ones that are embedded in the cityscape, the ones that we carry around that, that collect thousands of data points, you know, every second to, to send back to some, somebody somewhere. And that, you know, you can see the internet as something like a central nervous system in the wiring up of a global brain. Uh, the connection between, the scale of connection between the human brain with all of its synopses and you know, in the global brain is the wired community. And at this scale, uh, we think it's very important that, you know, communities are able to own and access their own information. The differences to us are striking that the recent absolute deplorable uh, Verizon throttling California file firefighters in an active blaze, right? Uh, in a disaster situation like that, you know, compare that to what's going on with the Ammon network where you know, they organize, uh, you know, collection and throughput of data around gunshots. 
you know, these are two extreme examples of, of differences of, of how these things can go down. So, Right. I should note uh, just briefly, <laughs> I don't know if Ammon's um, gunshotting has really been used. I'm not sure how many gunshots there are, just to, uh, but it's, they're, they're, ter- they're perfectly set up for it, just to <laughs> throw that out there. If there is one, you know, it'll, the network knows what to do, right? right. Uh, that technology, hopefully, that idea and that way of thinking can hopefully be, you know, uh, scaled up and out to other communities where there might be more gunshots, you know, where it could help, right? But these are, you know, extreme examples in, in disaster situations, right? There's countless other examples of, of how these things can be actively serving this sort of conceptual macro organism as it becomes self-aware and as, you know, people become to rely on it. And we think that, that the internet is the 21st century's bridge between, you know, our communities and economic opportunity. And it's also sort of a, a bedrock starting point for us to think about layering up and out additional uh, smart, intelligent, self-aware solutions for for communities to become increasingly resilient. So it was a good starting point for us that we're very passionate about. And Lindsay, you have a, a big history in, with public finance, and so you know one of the things that strikes me is that um, if you were if your main focus was bridges, <laughs> you might have less enthusiasm from people. But focusing on um, on broadband seems like it really fits with your goal of getting people more engaged in uh, in the whole municipal finance and any really local governance prospect. Yeah, definitely. I, um, we we share like like you at ILSR um, that commitment to. Um, work with like-minded communities, which is is very widespread throughout the United States right now. And, um, you know, there are smart uh, communities out there who have done their own research and who are looking for that innovation and connectivity with capital. Um, So Neighborly makes it easier to do that. And um, I think that's where it starts with that commonality and desire to build broadband and believing in the open access model is, is something key to the, the process. Well, tell me specifically, what is the difference? I mean, what do you do differently from your competitors aside from, you know, you'd certainly say you're more efficient and you're less costly, but, but from a person who isn't deeply familiar with, with public finance, how are you different? Yeah, so we uh, really help engage with the community and help communities think about from beginning to end the financing solutions that they need to build an open access broadband network. A lot of the time, the financing piece is brought in at the middle or the end rather than at the beginning, which really um, helps make it more successful and is also a way to, to engage with the community to build demand and and map out where that might be within the community to really engage um, from from beginning to end. And so our company um, is not only thinking about that entire lifespan of the broadband process, but we're also um, tapping into our neighborly global capital network, as well as being a technology company. So we have that um, span across those three areas, which um, really helps to um, bring a, a full s- solution essentially to these communities. 
Okay, so one of the communities that my listeners are familiar with is Burlington because of its um, municipal network. Now, you've also been involved in a recent investment in Burlington, and I thought it was really illustrative of um, what I find most promising about neighborly in relation to broadband. But can you just briefly describe how you sold um, the bonds for Burlington? Um, like you mentioned, the the Burlington Vermont transaction was the the use of the bond proceeds was for bike paths on Lake Champlain, and was really a community project that is similar to broadband, where your um, users are are utilizing that bike path, you know, every day on, on their way to work or on the weekends, um, and so that infrastructure and network of of um, you know paths and roads um, was very critical to Burlington to re redevelop. And um, so we sold uh, bonds in $1,000 bond denominations. And so that's typically um, lower than the $5,000 bond denomination. And so we um, offered those bonds to uh, potential investors on neighborly.com. And so we allowed the community to tap into that investment opportunity directly through our website and we did in addition to that financing piece um, you know we marketed throughout the community used bike share um, ads on, on the stations there and really got everyone in the community engaged even up to um, the mayor level and having that community initiative to revamp the, the bike paths, um, you know, was something that was very important to them. And so having it be um, something where the community feels empowered um, to, to change that and to um, be a part of it is, is something that was really powerful uh, to see. I agree. And I, when I learned about this in Maine, when I was on stage with Jace, I, I, I try to keep my jaw off the floor because uh, it was just so exciting. The idea of, of uh, citizen engagement and then making it up an opportunity for them to purchase the bonds um, and being having that a part of this whole process of, of, of thinking about an open access network. I think it's worth noting something that you did say earlier, Lindsay, which people might have not understood the import of, but but you're making it possible for cities both to sell bonds locally as part of the citizen engagement, but then you can also place the rest of the bonds the same way anyone else would. So you're not you're not guaranteed or you're not necessarily expecting the community to buy a hundred percent of the bonds. Right. Jace, let's bring this back to open access and then we'll come into your, your announcement. But what why open access versus a, a retail model, for instance, which um, you know, has, um, has certainly been successful in um, places um, that have gotten often more attention than uh, the open access model has? You know, the community says, OK, well, it's our infrastructure and, uh, you know, ISPs, please come and uh, compete to serve our community members. And it's through this way that, you know, we thought that it could probably be the best model uh, over time to help make sure that everyone gets some type of access and that there's different, you know, services provided for different types of access and different use cases. And that, you know, it most closely resembled how we would have uh, approached, uh, you know, if we did energy, uh, community energy and interconnected energy systems from first principles, starting from scratch, suppose we're leapfrogging like the old infrastructure and just doing it out of the box. Like this is how we would do it. It would be, you know, you could essentially show up and say, okay, well today, you know, the rates are best over here. And 
you know, in that case, there would probably be some type of algorithm that would be, you know, optimizing on what's the best available rate for us to see the frustration about how the, the telcos and cable companies that were sort of accidentally, you know, bestowed the opportunity to be, to run sort of local oligopolies in, in the internet when, when the internet evolved in the United States, uh, to see them sort of, you know, get in the arena and have to compete with each other. And then, you know, having upstarts in the community that want, you know, access to the, the ability to serve the community uh, that, you know, continues to keep them on their toes, that, that the spirit of American capitalism, right? It's, it, it, it just, it struck us as a model that would be best for everybody, except maybe, you know, the telco that otherwise would have had the monopoly. And we're not opposed to other models. And we would go to these conferences that, you know, you'd be doing like a keynote talk. You know, there'd be people talking from the community about the process, the path. And we realized that, you know, each one looked like something like, you know, a Joseph Campbell style, like hero's journey, where there's somebody obsessed with the idea of connecting their community. And they go through this crazy journey and they have to go through, they have to cross chasms of, of the unknown and you know, through dark forests of fear, uncertainty, and doubt where ISPs are like, oh, you're stupid for trying to do something different. You know, just let us, let us go ahead and continue to run the infrastructure or whatever. Uh, and then they get to the part where they need the resources the most, the financing. And like Lindsay said, you know, it was thought about as, okay, well, we'll get to that problem when we come to it uh, versus thinking about it as something that will, will happen from the outset when the time is right. And there's not a mechanism today other than neighborly that you can, you know, push some buttons and responsibly borrow exactly what you need, exactly what you need it, starting with your own constituents and fanning out, like you said, to the global capital network that, you know, is uh, tens of billions of dollars per year of annual bond purchasing power and desire to invest in things like community broadband. You've kindled my interest in public finance, but as I think back to what the humble municipal bond has built, and, I, and again, I would come back to like bridges and roads and major enablers of modern commerce, um, it's been open infrastructure. And, and I think there's a, a good fit for that historically. Um, but the, the part that really makes me excited about this is one of the challenges of open access is um, that it is harder for revenues to, to meet the, the costs and the debt. But the reason that that's true is because the incumbent providers can lower the price. And if people are just going to make up their mind based on the price of service for the next six months, the incumbents have the advantage. But if people are bondholders, if they've, if they've been engaged in the process, their thinking is different. Exactly. Yeah, you nailed it. That's it. You know, it's the alignment of incentives. It's uh, investing in a thing that you're helping to build and an investment is you know, it's financial, but it's also affinity. It's attachment. You know, if you're directly involved with it, if you buy it and understand it, and if you're going to invest in something like that or give the opportunity to invest in it, then, you know, when it comes time to do, we're talking about demand aggregation and the mechanisms pioneered by COS and used to good, good effect, with, you know, Google Fiber. And as folks started to roll out, you know, various high-speed models in the United States, hitting community against community and in you know fun competitions and helping local champions rally their neighborhoods and get everybody connected that uh, in that process the extended ability to invest directly you know it's not going to be appealing to everybody uh, but it certainly is something that's going to help uh, folks that want to see it happen 
uh, become, you know, an extended form of champion because, you know, you become invested in, in it, not just financially, but psychologically. And there's a, a really clear path to that being of service to the, the model where you're right, the incumbents have huge advantage and they can act irrationally. You know, you play this out, you see it, it's, they're uh, charging you a hundred dollars a month, but they're only paying eight bucks a month or something like, you know, when the, the community starts talking about, okay, we're going to build, you know, some of their model that would not let them to be the only game in town. They say, Oh, congratulations everybody. Now it's, we're offering special or it's $25 a month or something like this, you know, where they're still making a, f a fortune on margin, but they were able to drop that cost. But if you have the investment in a long-term infrastructure and you have the ability to, you know, bring others into that competition, that everybody, but maybe the, the, pr the prior monopoly, you know, gets an advantage. Well, and it seems to me that it, this is an odd situation in which your financial mechanism can lower the risk of the overall project, which is pretty fascinating. Take rate that, you know, gets extended and enhanced by uh, folks, you know, wanting to come to the table and be a part of the opportunity. And so now with, with all that as, as background, we get to the big announcement, which is uh, an accelerator uh, that you, uh, you know, I get the impression that in some ways, um, Lindsay, that, that you're sitting around thinking, well, we really want to see these ideas in practice. We want to start iterating and, and working with communities. Um, how can we make that happen more rapidly? So what's next? Yeah, so um, our accelerator launched um, last week and um, we've opened up the neighborly community broadband accelerator um, to not only communities, but also um, ISPs and community advocate groups. The idea with the, the neighborly accelerator is that we will um, help supercharge these broadband ambitions or projects that are currently um, in, in, in process um, by helping connect the best and the brightest in the broadband industry um, together and creating this ecosystem of those particular parties that are um, able to open up the dialogue, giving them tools, these communities tools to help push forward their broadband. What kind of tools? So the tools that, that we are helping um, develop with our partners are um, educational sessions um, with these leading experts throughout the industry. Our technology platform um, is very powerful. And so giving them access to that, helping to build what we're calling demand aggregation, um, as, as Jace alluded to, that COS um, pioneered, um, that type of technology that helps bring together and map out the community engagement and the subscribers that may care about the, mar the broadband network. And we also give them the ability to create marketing collateral. And so with every bond deal that we've done, um, we've given the, the community marketing tools, um, you know, designed posters for them, built uh, pages on our website to attract the community and spread the word. Um, and, and also we will talk with them about how to finance. How do you build the open access network um, through uh, creative financing structures and giving them access to the neighborly uh, global capital network? 
So you you mentioned, Lindsay, that this already had launched. Jace, can you tell us a little bit about the reaction that you've seen? Definitely. We're most excited. They won 20 communities signed up. We're about to do some some big pushing on on it with some some friends that want to see the world work this way. So hopefully it'll uh, attract the goal of 100 communities. But we also are really excited about the ISPs that have signed up to provide access, you know, through those networks and to operate those networks when they're built. We've had great signups from, you know, engineers that help design the networks. You know, we've been working very closely with Foresight Group on making sure that, you know, we understand exactly the, the range of opportunities. And we're also really excited about the, the local builders that are showing up and saying, you know, if, if this community is going to do this, then uh, we're here to help build it. So like Lindsay said, it's, it's not just about the finance in this case, it's about uh, the ecosystem and building a pathway, you know, and, and helping them to get come together and, you know, sort of the, all the, the raw ingredients that a community would need to, to, you know, cook into what becomes the network that it's the most efficient form of financing that we can, we can bring to it. Where can people go to learn more about it and to sign up? I think it's at slash broadband, right? It's neighborly.com slash broadband. Okay. Uh, we'll have a link to it, certainly in the, the notes that accompany this show, but people could also just Google Neighborly um, Accelerator, I'm sure, and find it. So is this is this the kind of thing that um, if you miss your opportunity, it's gone, or is this going to be a recurring program of sorts? Well, the accelerator is to line up the, the first communities that will get to use the tools and put them to use to make their network happen. But it's part of the long-range commitment to becoming the platform of record for uh, financing community broadband networks. And so the program uh, that accepts the applicants that we'll work very closely with will be the first to be able to access the tools. But from there, the tools will continue to live on and the financing platform will certainly grow. And every time somebody shows up to invest in, you know, their community or, you know, there's folks on, on the neighborly capital network that Lindsay mentioned that range from, you know, grandma down the street that wants to put a thousand dollars into the project all the way out to uh, sovereign wealth funds on other continents that can't invest less than a million dollars in your project. And, uh, everything in between. And every time one shows up to, you know, sign up to invest in a specific project, they find interest in other projects. So, you know, it sort of snowballs into the, the effect of, you know, becoming that platform of record that's enduring for community broadband finance. So basically these communities are getting an advanced sneak peek at tools that are going to be more commonly available in the near future. Yeah, the tools, and they'll also get a, a level of assistance and attention from Lindsay and all the all-stars and, and the neighborly squad that probably won't be there to the extent that they are putting in, you know, working countless hours and going to bat for that community. So it's not just about getting the, the sneak preview, it's about the extra TLC that, you know, once the program, the accelerator program, the initial class comes through, then from there, it's more of a self-service kind of model that, you know, we'll help where we can. But the, the first communities will be very fortunate to have, uh, you know, a team of all-stars and aces and wizards that are really passionate about helping them to connect to each other and to other communities and to the capital that they need to build their network. And people have about a month until the the deadline is over, and then you're going to decide who to work with uh, after that point, right? It's going to be toward the end of September. People can still sign up. Yeah, that's right. September 28th is the deadline for the first wave. And um, so you can go to our website and sign up, and we will be selecting um, five to ten um, out of those applicants. And 
um, you know, entry to the accelerator program is free. Um, and so we, we believe that, you know, there's a, an opportunity for that connection. Um, and we welcome, um, you know, those three different main buckets of parties, whether it be the community, the ISPs, or the, the advocacy groups, um, you know, either nominating their, their community or nominating themselves as, as a partner and a resource for um, the program. Well, I think it'd be really terrific if you had the trifecta of uh, a community group, uh, a local government, and an ISP all combining in a single package. That would be amazing. Definitely. Well, is there anything else that, that we should touch on briefly about Neighborly before um, we, we end this episode and start preparing for a future episode about the history of the humble municipal bond and how some have attempted to corrupt it? We, we'd love to talk your ear off and your listeners' ears off, uh, Chris, but you know, we look forward to coming back. We're excited to talk more about the crazy history of the humble municipal bond and you know, how it really got to start uh, through uh, something that could be written up as a best-selling uh, murder mystery. <laughs> and, and there's just a fascinating history, but, you know, we just want to thank you, Chris, for, again, for connecting communities and helping others to connect their communities and, you know, for ILSR for doing what you do. We're huge fans and, you know, all the listeners um, you know, we're probably biased that, you know, we, we thank you all for what you're doing because you're probably here to, to think about how to better connect communities. And we appreciate that and want to help any way we can. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, thank you, Jace, for making time uh, today. Um, we actually uh, attempted to record this previously and um, and Skype um, uh, really, really screwed us up. And I didn't want to, um, I don't want to let that go. I wanted people that are still listening to know that Skype has um, really infuriated me, but I really appreciate your dedication to uh, getting this interview done. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thanks very much. We really appreciate it. That was Christopher speaking with Jace Wilson and Lindsay Brandon from Neighborly about the firm, their model for helping local communities use municipal bonding to fund infrastructure projects, and the new accelerator program that's focused on broadband infrastructure. Remember to check out their website, neighborly.com, if you're an investor, seeking funding resources, or if you're just curious about their work and the projects they develop. The Accelerator Program link is neighborly.com slash broadband-accelerator. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. You can subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. Access them wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to ILSR's monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thanks to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 320 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>